Well, good morning and welcome everyone. I am your host, James Orr, and this is another episode of the servingrealestateinvestors.com webinar series, Substack, podcast, like all the different stuff we're doing to help folks who want to better serve real estate investors, real estate agents, lenders, accountants, folks like that. So today we're going over a class that, I don't know, this is sort of like uh, my little baby, right? Like the, the idea of nomad. I didn't invent people moving into a property, living there for a period of time, then converting it to a rental, but I did name it. Uh, I do own the trademark for the term nomad, which is describing what we just talked about there. And I am pretty sure I have done more math on this than anyone in the world. Um, I've done a ridiculous amount of analysis on the nomad strategy of buying a property as an owner-occupant, moving in there, living there for at least a year, which is a requirement of the lender, and then converting that property to a rental. So um, it is a, it's, it's sort of like, I feel like it's my child's. I don't know why that sounds so weird, but uh, that is true. So today we're going to talk about why work with this type of investor who wants to do this strategy. So uh, let's jump right into it. So uh, to recap what it is, I just kind of covered it, but I'll cover it again here. You buy a home as owner-occupant. You live there for a year. That is a requirement of a lender. When you get your owner-occupant loan, it's usually a loan with a better interest rate, a lower interest rate, usually a loan with low or nothing down, you know, like a VA loan with nothing down or USDA loan with nothing down or uh, 3.5% down for an FHA loan, or 5% down for conventional loan, or 3% down for the conventional loan. Usually it's those types of loan programs where we have uh, investors buying properties, they're moving into the properties. If they don't move into the property, they're committing loan fraud. So we always have people move into the property. We don't try to cheat the system. This is not about that. This is complying with the rules as they are written. And if the rules change, we will change the rules. Okay, so they live there for a year. Uh, at least a year, sometimes a little bit longer, you know, if they want to stay there um, for, you know, a year or two years while they're saving up for their down payment, or they've got kids in school or whatever they're trying to do. Uh, sometimes it's more than a year, but a lot of times my nomads are like trying to time it so that it's like 12 months in a day that they're moving out of these properties and doing it. Um, some people confuse this with the idea of living in a property for two out of the last five years for the tax benefit of being able to sell it and not have capital gains, have that capital gains exemption, the like homestead with a property that you've lived in for two out of the last five years, you get an exemption on doing that. We're not selling these properties. So that is not what we're talking about. You do not need to stay in the property for two years because we have no intention of selling these. These are properties we're keeping. So there's no need to stay in the property for two years. So that's a, a common thing you'll, you'll get questions about. Uh, so we live there for a year. Then we buy a new home. And we convert the previous one that we were living in into a rental. And most of the time, we can get a lease in place uh, with most lenders, and they will count the income from that lease to help us qualify for the next one. So we're not going to have problems with DTI unless they you know, have pretty significant negative cash flow, and it's really hurting them to have that property. But in a lot of cases, this will help out enough where they can qualify for the next loan. They can uh, convert the previous one to a rental, and they can uh, continue this process until they have as many rentals as they want. Because they're buying a property as an owner-occupant, there is no loan limitation. It's not like you can only get you know, 10 30-year fixed-rate loans because everyone that they're buying is an owner-occupant. There is actually currently, at the time of this recording, May 16th of 2023, happens to be my uh, 28th wedding anniversary today. So uh, anyway, that's a side note. Um, 
So there is no limitation on the number of fixed rate 30-year financing loans that we can get because they're all owner-occupant loans. You're moving into the next property. And that is what determines whether or not you can get that next fixed rate loan. If they were trying to buy an investment property, they would run into that where they couldn't get these fixed rate financing loans. So this is a great way to deal with getting more than 10 fixed rate financing loans on properties if you really want to have a big portfolio. Most people aren't going to need 10, but a lot of times we show them 10 so that they have something to aim for. I think we talked about that in the uh, give them something to aim for class. Okay, so uh, why Nomad? You know, why do this strategy versus all the other strategies that we have here? And I've really grouped it into like, I don't know, five different types of people that this sort of fits with. There is a group of people who are, you know, they wake up one day, they're 40 years old, and they're like, man, I haven't done enough to save for retirement. I need to catch up. We call these guys catch up nomads, where they wake up and they're like, hey, I'm behind where I need to be. Now I need a strategy that can get me higher than normal returns higher than you know typical type returns you might see and one way to do that is by putting small amounts down and getting very highly leveraged returns uh, through rental properties you, know, you put five percent down the return your return on investment is way better than if you put twenty uh, percent down or twenty five percent down you know it's four times better in some cases uh, depending on how much you put down and what the numbers look like so it's it's pretty significant. So catch up nomad, uh, then catch up on saving for retirement. Uh, there's a whole group of folks that are interested in investing with little or nothing down. This fits that bill perfectly. You know, we'll call those guys little down nomad, where they are able to buy properties with little or nothing down. USDA VA is nothing down. The three percent down uh, conventional loan for their first one, easy to do. Three and a half percent down for that uh, FHA loan, where they're usually buying some type of single family home, duplex, triplex, or fourplex, and then five uh, percent down for the other ones once they get past that. So investing with little or nothing down, check. Got those guys. It's great to help those uh, folks get interested in investing and we can solve their problems by having them do Nomad. A lot of young professionals just out of college to invest in real estate to help them fire. There's a growing movement of people who are interested in financial independence, retire early, the fire movement. And a lot of these folks are young professionals, uh, computer programmers, engineers, um, medical professionals, like folks that they... They know coming out of college that they don't want to work until they're 65 or 70 or whatever it is. And so they're used to living with roommates. They're used to moving every year. For them, doing the nomad strategy makes perfect sense. They've got good incomes. They don't usually have a lot of debt except for student loan debt in a lot of cases. And so they can easily do this strategy. And it's a really good strategy for them, for someone young to be able to do it. So we call those young nomads, young professional nomads. Um, there are some folks that choose to do this in college. You can use this as a strategy. And for your four years in college, you can move into a new house every year, um, buy the house, you know, nothing down or low down payment, get your parents to help out in some cases, and uh, allow them to, while they're in college, acquire four rental properties. Or if they're going for advanced degrees, you know, six or eight rental properties. If you're doing this every year and you're trying to do this, I mean, maybe you get your parents to co-sign and to help you out do it, qualify with some of the down payments. But you were planning on moving, you know, sharing your house with roommates anyway. You were planning on moving into, you know, some type of new property every semester anyway. Uh, why not do it where you acquire rental properties? And then when you leave college, you're set. So the college nomad is a really interesting way for a lot of these folks to acquire rental properties when they're doing that. And especially we see parents coming in 
and they, you know, they have kids in high school or, you know, kids who are already in college and they start them on this path and we help them buy properties where the kids move in and they do this strategy. Um, and then another version of this is Legacy Nomad where they use it to help family members. And, and I've seen it done both ways where, um, you know, a kid will help their parents uh, buy this, you know, utilize this strategy that will, you know, gift them the down payments or um, they will co-sign or do whatever they need to do in order to help their parents acquire properties uh, sequentially this way. And then they will, you know, with maybe with the understanding that they're going to inherit this property doesn't have to be, but a lot of times that's what it ends up being. Or you see a older, well-established parent helping their kids get started with this strategy where they are helping them with down payments and or co-signing for properties. And so we have this version of legacy nomad where you gift your kids or you help your parents or grandparents um, be able to acquire properties that way. So those are sort of the, the core, most common groups of people that want to do nomad and how it works. So let's talk about some of the pros and cons about why you want to work with a nomad group or why do I look at nomad clients um, as a real estate agent or a lender or accountant or you know, whoever it is that you want to serve uh, real estate investors. So number one is there is a deep well of content to be able to share. So all the stuff we have about how to acquire properties, how to analyze deals, how to rent out properties, how to manage properties, how to um, do financial kind of planning for, you know, achieving financial independence and thinking about how many you need, like all of those classes, all of them apply, you know, reducing risk, like all the different classes I've talked about before, anything that a normal real estate investor would want to know, they need it. So there's lots of clearly defined things to teach. There's lots of opportunities for you to demonstrate value. And there's lots of classes then and reasons for you to stay in touch over a very long period of time. And there are lots of updates, you know, like you need to say, you know, what has changed with property management in 2023 or 2024 or 2025? Uh, you know, you need to kind of keep them like abreast of all the changes that are going on in the marketplace and how things are impacting the strategy and how we're starting to think about things. You know, you have a a really big jump in property values, you know, we need to talk about return on equity and what that looks like. And maybe you should be moving stuff around and should you re-leverage, should you actually refinance, you know, all those different things apply. And there's a really deep well of content that gives you a great way to demonstrate value, to add value to your folks and to um, attract them and then also serve them over time. Another reason to work with nomads is they may also end up being clients for other types of deals. Some nomads, they are doing nomad, but in a parallel, they want to also buy regular investment properties. You'll find some people thinking they come to class for the first time thinking they're going to buy rentals. They hear about the nomad strategy. They're like, oh, this is great. My kids are about to move out of the house. You know, I had three kids. Now I'm down to two or one. Let's do the nomad strategy for the next year. We'll also do it with some of our kids in college. We'll also do, you know, I've got this extra money that I planned on using for this anyway. I'll also use that to buy a 20% down or 25% down rental, or they want to go buy an apartment building. So once someone gets sold on the idea of investing through you or someone else, and a lot of times it's other people that, you know, they get excited about real estate because they learned about it somewhere else. And then they're like searching for knowledge on how to do it in their local marketplace. And you show up with nomad and some other things then you can help them with all the other strategies and Nomad. And a lot of times that is what will end up happening. Uh, they may want to optimize their portfolios over time. So sometimes these Nomad clients, they will acquire properties and then their equity will build up and their return on equity will drop off 
considerably because that's just what happens to return on equity over time. And they will want to maximize their return on equity. And so they may decide to trade in properties or do refinances to pull cash out to be able to buy more things or to re-leverage up. And so you could be there to serve them and to help them, help them understand the pros and cons of doing those things and to assist them with actually implementing that strategy. Uh, leverage down payments into multiple purchases. So a lot of folks come in, they think, hey, I need 20% down in order to buy a rental property, or some people think 25% down. But if you go in there and you ex explain to them, look, you know, if you put 20% down on this $400,000 property, um, you would need to have uh, $80,000. However, you would only own a single $400,000 property at the end. If we do it this way, if we do it as the nomad strategy, you put 5% down on each of these, we could acquire four properties over four years with 5% down. And at the end of that, you'd have $1.6 million worth of real estate. Would you rather have $1.6 million of real estate growing at 3% a year? Or would you rather have $400,000 growing at 3% a year? And a lot of them, once they see that math, they're like, well, it makes a lot of sense to do this. And then it's usually a matter of getting the spouse on board. You know, um, in fact, I'm going to name that as another objection on here because that's a big one. Okay. So usually they're trying to get their spouse on board. And if they get their spouse on board, then a lot of times they'll do it. You know, sometimes they don't have to worry about it. Sometimes the spouse comes with them to class and they get it and they will see it. And they're like, yeah, this sounds great. Well, at least try it once and see how it goes. And then a lot of times they're like, yeah, this isn't that bad. Or they'll try it once and realize, okay, we definitely don't want to stay here. So we got to do at least one more to get out of this. But we do like the real estate rental idea. We just don't like the moving every year. And so they'll, they'll do it once or twice and decide, all right, enough is enough. We're going to go continue on with the strategy, but at least they're able to leverage up a couple of their properties and get some diversity into how they're acquiring properties in their strategy. Um, usually nomads have reasonable property expectations because they're moving into the properties. And so a lot of times, it's not every time, but a lot of times they will have very reasonable expectations about the types of properties that they want. You know, usually they want stuff in good neighborhoods that would make good long-term rentals. Um, and they, they like you know, slightly nicer properties. Sure, there's going to be some like fixer upper type nomads that want to look for almost like a burr strategy, a, like a live-in burr where they can buy the property with very little down, do a lot of sweat equity themselves, build up their equity, um, maybe not pull their money back out because most of the time you can't get all your money back out of burr anyway. But this allows them to go buy these properties with very little down, leave a little bit in the deal, do some fix up, build up some sweat equity. And then maybe they're going to sell it later. Maybe they're going to do some type of cash out refinance and order to access some of the equity. Um, another pro of working with nomads is they get amplified returns with no down payments or small down payments. Now, I say amplified returns because it amplifies in both directions. If you help a nomad buy a property and the market goes down, it gets amplified in the negative direction. They have negative appreciation if the market goes down. Or if cash flow is negative, it's an amplified negative cash flow return. So realize that the returns are amplified because you have a small amount in the deal. Your return on investment is calculated by how much you have in the deal. And when you have a small denominator, that means that the returns look really good, but it works in both directions. So you can't just say you get amplified positive cash flow or amplified appreciation. Sometimes markets go down and we always talk about, you know, uh, a, a full disclosure, very holistic very no promises about the market going up every single year or rents going up every single year. Although we do model it that way, most of the time, we do talk about that, you know, sometimes markets go down and rents will not go up or rents will go down or property values will go down. And that can happen. And we talk about how to deal with that and how to address it. So 
Amplified Returns is another pro working with nomads because they're putting little down or they're putting nothing down or they're putting you know, a small down payment down. And so the returns do get amplified and that's usually a benefit to the client. Uh, some of the downsides working with nomads. So you must be able to overcome objections related to nomading. And there are several. I mean, there are definitely several reasons why some people will be like, you know, nomad sounds interesting, but it's not for me. And I think a couple of them that come up very often is number one, moving in each time. They're like, can't we just do nomad and not move in? Well, there probably are some very unusual ways to do that, which we kind of talk about. But for the most part, no, that's loan fraud. You know, there are some weird things where, you know, you can have someone nomad on your behalf. We call that, you know, nomad by proxy, where you have your parents move into the property and you're providing the down payment. Maybe, maybe you're even co-signing on the loan or you have your kids move in while they're in college. And, you know, maybe you have some deal where you own the property while, you know, you know, you're needing them. And then eventually you gift them to the kids or they inherit them or something like that. So there's all sorts of variations to do that. We're not going to go into details, but you need to be able to overcome the objections on moving into the properties and show them the reason why, hey, I'm not going to force you to you know, do the nomad strategy, but if you want to get these you, all the benefits of doing nomad, then you got to consider, is it worth the, the headache and hassle of moving in? And the expense, is it expensive moving property? So got to take all those into account. Another one that comes up a lot is because you're putting nothing down or little down, you are much more likely to have negative cash flow. If you had put 20 or 25% or 50% down um, on a property, you're much less likely to have negative cash flow. You're much more likely to have positive cash flow. But when we put these small amounts down, we tend to have negative cash flow on a property. And because you have negative cash flow, really that's the way I describe it is that's deferred down payment. Because if you had put more down, you wouldn't have that negative cash flow. So really, what is that negative cash flow? It's the payment you're making instead of putting the extra 15, 20, 30, 50, 60, hundred thousand dollars down. And a lot of folks are willing to pay 100, 200, 500, 800 dollars negative per month instead of having to put an extra 50, 60, 70, 80, hundred thousand dollars down because usually that negative cash flow doesn't last forever. Usually rents are slowly creeping up with inflation over time. Sometimes they go down, sometimes they stay the same. but over time, typically inflation works in your favor. And you tend to get rid of negative cash flow by having rents increase. Sure, some of your expenses on your property, like taxes, insurance go up. But most of the time, that those things are going up slower than what rent is increasing. And usually your mortgage payment is fixed. And so for all those reasons, negative cash flow tends to go down over time and eventually become positive cash flow. And so you can calculate out what you estimate they will need in negative cash flow. And if we sum up the total amount that they need in negative cash flow, that tends to usually be a lot less than if they had put down enough money up front in order to make the property positive cash flow to begin with in terms of extra down payment. So you need to be able to overcome those objections related to Nomad to talk about that. Another objection you're going to get is this private mortgage insurance thing. For some reason, people are afraid of private mortgage insurance. So you got to explain to them exactly what it is, why it exists, why it's maybe worthwhile paying, why it might be you know, just a part of the expense of being able to acquire these types of deals, and that it is acceptable and okay. And if they decide that it's not for them, then it's not for them. You know, it's totally up to them. And then the other downside, the other con that I get a lot is, you know, I would love to do Nomad, but my spouse won't go for it. I get that one all the time, right? Like, that's totally fine. You know, if you guys are unwilling to do that, then, you know, 
happy wife, happy life sort of thing, happy husband, happy life or whatever. I don't know, whatever it is, right? You don't want to have someone fighting in order to do this strategy. So let them make their own decisions. Um, and if they want to do it, great, help them do it. If they want to do something else, great, help them do that. Um, but be of service, add value. All right, so other things. So in some markets, it might be harder to overcome negative cash flow deferred down payment. So depending on what market you're in, it, it may be ugly in order to only put 5% down on the property and have PMI. And that's just something you need to calculate into your math. So one of the reasons we're doing the analysis we're doing in some of the other classes where we compare um, all these different markets and I show you doing Nomad versus 20% down, which one it gets you to financial independence faster, uh, which one gets you the higher net worth, which one um, you know is riskier and, and these kind of like six different measures of risk. And we're looking at those and analyzing them and seeing what the impact is and should people Nomad in certain markets, should people put 20% down? And then we look at the analysis for that and we analyze it. Um, and then another downside is compromise. Often not buying the ideal property to live in and not the ideal property to be a rental. So when they're doing Nomad, they got to be willing to live in the property. And sometimes the need to live in a property that's a certain level of niceness, certain quality of property and a certain quality of neighborhood might not make for the best rental. And on the same time, you know, you know, buying these, you, you can't, in other words, you can't go buy in these really crazy, nice million dollar neighborhoods where they're not going to be good rentals when you eventually move out. But a lot of folks are unwilling to move into the really optimal rental properties because they need to have some type of minimum standard. And so there's usually this give and take pull of, you know, we want to have a good rental, but we also don't want to live in a really rough neighborhood and a really rough property. Um, and so you end up buying rentals in nice neighborhoods is really what it usually ends up being. And sometimes, you know, the significant other will say, hey, listen, okay, I'm willing to go along with this nomad thing, but I'm not giving up my uh, granite countertops and my stainless steel appliances. So, you know, maybe you are buying properties that have granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, and maybe you wouldn't otherwise buy those as a traditional rental, but because it's nomad and you got to live there for at least a year, that that is a, that is a cost of doing the deal. It's a cost to be willing to do nomad. If you didn't do that, your wife or husband would not go along with it and you would not be able to do nomad. So you got to be able to address those issues. So those are all the reasons why I think working with nomads is a good idea. Um, and I think it's a great strategy. You know, if I didn't point it out very specifically, when, when you're talking to somebody who was otherwise going to come in with 20% down and they were going to buy a single rental property with that, if you instead talk to them and it makes sense for them to do it, and they would prefer to do the nomad strategy because there are a lot of advantages to doing that for them, including having a bigger asset base and stuff, that you end up earning four times the commission or four times the number of loans or four times the number of properties on a tax return if you help them buy four properties instead of one, right? If they come in there, they were going to buy one rental property 20% down, and now you explain to them how over four years, we can help you buy four properties with 5% down you now earn four real estate commissions on the four purchases instead of one real estate commission on the 20% purchase. And you ended up doing four loans on the owner-occupant property purchases instead of one loan on the investment purchase. And if you're doing tax returns, they have four rental properties and you get paid for you know, whatever it is, Schedule E or things like that, or whatever your business is where you're serving real estate investors, You are, if it's advantageous, you earn more money by helping them with more transactions that's another pro, a pro for you working with real estate investors doing it. 
Now, I'm not telling you do that only because it makes you more money. I'm telling you, if they decide that is a worthwhile thing because it's advantageous for them, it also happens to be a increased income amount for you by serving them four times instead of serving them once. Okay, that's all I got. Hope you enjoyed the class. Uh, have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now.